You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. I'm really, really excited to welcome Brad, St- Brad Stain into the studio today. Brad Stain um, survived the Stratum Square massacre of the late 1980s. It's now 30 years since that massacre occurred, and it left an indelible mark on his life and actually changed his life forever. So, Brad, without further ado, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me at such short notice. No problem, Chad. Thanks for having me here, and uh, happy Hanukkah to everybody and long life. Um, Brad, let's go back 30 years. Last month, November, was 30 years since Baron Strode and the Witwolf took up arms, shot people in the square, attacked people on a bus. What was that all about and how were you involved? So, um, um, Baron Hendrik Stradom was a member and a self-proclaimed leader of the Witwolf, um, a right-wing um, organization that um, was was small in numbers, but he was a um, a, um, a, a a radical. Uh, he had a radical mindset, and and uh, you know he had a lot of right-wing ideals, and uh, he had broken off. He was with the AWB for a while, and he, he broke off from there. He also did a short stint in the in the South African police and SAPS, but he was fired because uh, he was posing with a decapitated. Uh, head of a black man, and um, uh, he said something like, this is what needs to happen to all the blacks in this country. How did you end up being in the square that day? So my mom used to work at the State Theatre right next to Stradom Square and next to the Forkskus building, and um, uh, she worked uh, as the deputy head of public relations there, and um, um, we were doing something with the ballet that night, and I'd caught the train in from Fivertburg, from Littleton, and um, I'd I'd walk down to um, I'd like to walk the street so that I could hear, um, you know, what we didn't hear because I grew up in Littleton in a defence force related community where the streets were very uh, squared away and. Um, and white. So when I'd go into central Pretoria, I could hear the Quela music. I could hear the call to prayer in Maraba. So, so I liked walking that part. And um, I found myself walking uh, east on Church Street, and I stepped onto Stratum Square to go walk across the square. And I don't know if you remember, Chad, what uh, the Stratum Square looked like, but it had a big head, the Stratum head with a big canopy around it and um you know and then it had a big garden with a path going through it and within that path on the sides it had benches etc and on the outside was a little wall and uh to the left i all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye i saw a guy with uh, a camo on and i thought yeah he looks like a talkie guy task force guy you know maybe he's a cop maybe he's trying to catch some bad guys uh, because I saw him, ha- uh, he had a nine mil in his right hand. And then I saw him walk into this garden area and he lifted his, his firearm and he shot a black person that was just sitting there innocently. And um, I, obviously pandemonium break, broke out. Everybody started running and screaming. I kept looking at him but ran along the side of the wall and sort of hid at the bottom of this wall. And then I stuck my head back up and I saw him walk over to a a man and a woman sitting on a bench and he shot them as well. 
And that's when the gravity of of the 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 reality hit me, you know, that that this guy's obviously not a cop. He's obviously not enforcing the law. And, um, you know, he's murdering people. It must have been a surreal moment for you. Oh, it was I was terrified. I was terrified, but but also angry. And um, then to the left of me was a um, uh, a bench. And I heard out of uh, earshot, cling bass, cling bass. And I looked and there was this young black guy with what I call kind eyes um, waving me over. So I went and I hid on the other side of the bench with them. But when I got to the other side of the bench, there were Indian people, there were white people, black people. All South Africans were lying there seeking shelter. And um, then um, we looked up over again, and then he shot somebody else. And then um, Kind Eyes all of a sudden, you know, just jumped up and he ran in the direction of Stradom. And um, something snapped in me as well. I grabbed my, my rugby kit bag and I chased after him. And as I came around the corner, you, I could see bloody footprints or boot footprints on the floor. And as, as, as I was looking up, I saw Stradom standing over Kind Eyes with his nine mil and he shot him. That is absolutely horrific. Um, when we come back, we're going to be chatting more to Brad about how this life-changing event literally changed his life as a white South African and what he then went on to become. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. What an interesting story. We're chatting to Brad Stain. He is a survivor of the Stratum Square massacre. And if you think the story is interesting and we're going to run out of time just now, I'm very excited to tell you that there is going to be a book um, relating to these experiences. But before we talk about the book, Brad, how did this change your life? What did this do to you? Because you already mentioned you were enjoying South Africa as a cosmopolitan country, although you were living in a stifled white community, you enjoyed listening to the different cultures and meeting the different people while walking the streets of Hilbra. I mean, uh, of, of, of Pretoria. But this incident, this massacre that you survived, it must have changed your entire opinion and everything that you had grown up to believe. Um, actually, yes. It, 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 it basically... Um, ripped my innocence away and um, let me just jump back for a second so I went up to Kind Eyes and I put his head on my lap after Stradom had shot him and I said why are you doing this and he said he turned around and he ran away at that stage um, I didn't realize that a gunshot wound to the lung was as painful as it was and kind eyes was bleeding now and he was now terrified eyes um, he survived we got him into the ambulance and we managed to go see him the next day at a hospital uh, on the outskirts of Pretoria that night when I washed his blood off my hands, my innocence washed away. Um, uh, I struggled at school. I struggled with discipline. Uh, my parents ended up sending me to Cape Town um, to join the Navy at 17 years old uh, because, you know, they just couldn't deal with me and handle me. And I, um, and then I eventually met uh, uh, two guys by the name of uh, Cyril Beaker and Neil De Beer. 
um, and these guys had just started a small security company called Project Group, and um, they brought me on board. But uh, I didn't know at the time that Cyril was a member of the ANC and that De Beer was doing contract work for the security police under the uh, guise of Andy Miller, Major Andy Miller with the security police in the Western Cape. So, um, you know, we started, um, you know, doing a bunch of different work for, uh, you know, these proxy organizations under the guise of uh, the security police. And uh, we're unawares that Cyril was doing the same, but for MK. And um, until one day when um, uh, we walked into a wimpy in Seapoint on the Atlantic seaboard across the road from La Perla, and uh, I saw Vieri, and then I saw Lincoln, and I said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? That guy just did seven years on Robben Island, you know? Uh, and he said, no, Cyril wants us to come and speak to these guys. And uh, we were recruited into MK by Major General Jeremy Vieri and Andre Lincoln. Now, Lincoln's also Major General. Um, Correct. He's had, he's had a lot of fights with the police establishment, but he was one of the core members of Mandela's inner circle with regards to protection. He exposed the um, attempted assassination that was going to take place on Mandela's life, and he exposed big business in South Africa being in bed with with criminals, international criminals like Vito Palazzolo. Cyril, of course, we all know about because of his his run-ins with organized crime, but Cyril Beaker, Russell Christopher, Russell Christopher, um, Vieri, Lincoln, they all did their bit to fight for MK on the Cape Flats. And to this day, there's still, you know, fights taking place, and it's proxy fights because you have a DA-led Cape and you have ANC-led departments, and these guys just don't seem to come together for, for the good of the Cape. But that's a conversation for another day. I want to talk more about this experience. So you land up becoming a member of MK. It must have felt almost like a homecoming in a way because of what had happened in your youth and what you had experienced. Precisely. So um, finally, you know, the angst went away. It was like a big weight had lifted off my shoulders because finally I'd found purpose. And, um, you know, uh, you, you know um, Andre yourself and you know Vieri yourself. And, and you know, these are, are very smart, very um, intelligent, uh, uh, capable security men. And highly dedicated to their craft. Exactly. You know, they basically helped write the new intelligence legislation moving forward for the new South Africa. But, um, yeah, like you say, it's a discussion for another time. But, you know, uh, what what they have achieved in the last uh, few uh, months, uh, you know, with, with what they're doing down there has just been phenomenal. But, you know, it, it was good leadership that, that we had. It was really scary, uh, the tasks that, that, you know, they ended up setting sending me uh, to go and do, and one of them was infiltrating an organization called WAM, World Apartheid Movement, movement uh, under the leadership of uh, Vermeulen, the guys that actually um, helped put the logistics together uh, behind the assassination of Comrade Hani. 
It's it's bizarre when one learns that people are still being recruited into the MK ranks or into the security branch ranks or into the military intelligence ranks all the way up to the 94 elections. Cadessa, nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew whether the 94 election would work. That's why MK had Operation Vula based in Swaziland in case things went wrong. But I want to go back a few steps because the story of, of Stratum Square is why you're here today. Tell me what happened to Kind Eyes. Did you ever meet him again after that time you you met you visited him in hospital so i'm so glad you bring this up because um um what we've done for the last um 11 years is i've written the book i've tried to find people i've tried to find survivors etc and it's been very very difficult i've had some of the top journal investigative journalists in south africa help me as well and former intelligence operatives from both sides. And uh, it's been very, very difficult. But finally, we have managed to find the the names of all the survivors and the names of uh, all the victims. And, um, you know, uh, we are working towards doing a memorial event at the uh, Lillian Magoya um, uh, Women's Living Heritage Museum next year. Um, where we're going to put a TED talk on, where we're going to talk about healing. And, um, you know, I haven't found Kind Eyes yet. I do know what his name is, though. And it's it's been such an incredible experience going to archives, getting uh, archives, Department of Arts and Culture to help me um, try and track down a lot of these people. So, um, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. And tell me, the book, it's taken you 11 years, you have a publisher, you have a, a, a estimation when it's going to come out. You must be excited but at the same time nervous because you're going to be bringing this back into the, the memories of a lot of people and it's going to awaken a lot of heartbreak and heart sore. Yeah, and you know, I'm not trying to do that and hash up um, you know, painful memories, etc. You know, in order for a person to heal – we need to talk and we need to debate and we need to understand the pain that people have gone through so that we can be back on the, uh, on the same playing field. And I feel that's what happened during the 94 uh, transition. We just had a big blaster put over it and, and there's still a lot of um, healing that, that, that needs to happen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to chat to you more about the launch of the book and how it's been for you having to tell the story over and over again, but now actually reliving it in print. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Nordmore is proud to offer a fantastic Hanukkah experience once again. Visit their Hanukkah Discovery Center located at the Center Court for a fun, hands-on Hanukkah learning experience for children of all ages. It's open all day until the end of Hanukkah, and everything is free. They'll also be lighting Africa's largest dreidel menorah there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night at 6.30 with free donuts each night. Kids say hi to Dreidelman and Yehuda Mokavi and your own dreidel and balloon. Thursday night is kids' night and starts at 5.30 with a magic show and children's program. You don't want to miss this. Um, Brad, a heartbreaking story. Stratum Square, 1988. Eight people die. How many injured? Um, I think it was upwards of 16 people 
injured. When was he arrested? How was he arrested? So there was a brave gentleman that, um, uh, stand to be corrected, I think his name was Simon, that was walking along the side and sort of observing from from a distance. And Stratum went into a, um, a store on Church Street uh, to go change his, his magazine. And um, apparently he walked in there and went, Boss, they're looking for you outside. And he turned around and looked, and uh, they jumped on him and um, wrestled him to the ground and handed him over to the police. You can see in those days there was at least a, a degree of, of um, respect for a criminal. I don't know if a criminal or a mass murderer deserves respect. In today's day and age, you catch somebody who's just done this, it would be mob justice. And Baron Stratum can, can only be thankful that the people that grabbed him didn't take out their anger and frustration on him. He actually suffered um, empathy and sympathy um, at the hands of those that he had caused massive suffering too. So it's, 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 a, it's a bizarre story. Then he got immunity for this or, or amnesty. Correct. So um, through the Truth and Reconciliation, uh, some people think it worked, some people don't. I don't think that it worked too well. But uh, he, res- he only did five years and then um, he was exchanged uh, for Comrade Robert McBride. So what do you think that message sent because you mentioned the TRC not having the correct impact. For me, the TRC um, concentrated more on political killings. It didn't concentrate on other things such as economic crime, etc. But this gentleman who is part of his own self-proclaimed organization of Vitvolva receiving amnesty to me smacks of giving credit to a psychopath because in my opinion, and that's my opinion. The man is a psychopath. What do you think? You saw the man. You looked into his eyes. Uh, yes, and I actually looked into his eyes a year and a half ago when I tracked him down. Um, you know, uh, it's it, it stinks. The whole thing stinks. You know, um, we, we know that he's got some supporters that have a lot of money. And, uh, you know, um, there's the... The, the Bupens Prakhada have, have a lot of friends with a lot of money. So, um, you know, uh, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of money that's been passed around to, to make sure that he was part of that deal. Brad, tell us about the book. So the book is called Undercover with Mandela Spies, the story of the boy who crossed the square uh, with Mandela Spies. Um, uh, being an intelligence operative for so many years, you know, we never actually want to admit to it, but that's why the title says "with." But it's the story of working with um, General um, uh, General Vieri and General Andre Lincoln, um, and um, you know, with with the Department of Intelligence and Security. It's a it's a story that everybody needs to read. It's a it's a chapter in South African history that's been glossed over. And people seem to forget that these atrocities were taking place all the time. Um, there was the Aikenhof um, roadblock that was put up where um, RVBO members were cutting off the ears of, of people that were of, of a different color and of a different culture um, just because they were black. You had the RVBO deciding to, to drive into a, a so-called sovereign country to fight for that sovereign country so that they could keep apartheid installed under Lucas Mangope's rule. And there was atrocities on both sides. And I think you, you touched on a nerve when you said that the TRC 
was not final in what it should have done. And it was it was a healing process that took a lot out of um, our erstwhile um, Bishop Emeritus um, Tutu, who coined the wonderful phrase, the Rainbow Nation. I think everybody just wanted to move on from that point. But you're right. There are still a lot of wounds that are festering. How do you as a South African see these wounds being healed? Because it's 25 years next year since our first democratic election, yet race is such a problem in South Africa. Absolutely. So what we need to do is we obviously need to, um, you know, uh, realize that, that there's so much potential in this country still today. And I know that it seems dismal, but we need to talk. We need to communicate. And once we talk and communicate and understand each other's pain and suffering, then we can move forward. There's a lot of injustices that have still been done. People still need to know who killed Hani, which is very, very important. And, um, you know, we need to get rid of organized crime within our government, within my political party, within the ANC. Brad, thank you so much for today. And uh, in memory of those eight that lost their lives, we're going to play my favorite song, which we happened to play earlier. But I think it's only fitting that on the 30th anniversary, which we celebrated a few weeks ago, and I hate the word celebrate, but the 30th, 30th anniversary of the, the Stratum Square Massacre, we're going to play out with uh, that, that wonderful song by, by Bright Blue. And Brad, we look forward to your book coming out uh, early next year. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me on, and God bless.